Uh, today we are looking and continuing our series in Hebrews. And so let me go ahead and get us started here as we look at the text here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 says this. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked a future blessing on Jacob and Esau. That's just odd. Let me tell you why. You remember the story in Genesis chapter 27 and the story in Genesis chapter 27 where Isaac invokes this future blessing on Jacob and Esau is the story of deceit. It's the story where Isaac is a disobedient father of sorts because he seeks to bless the older son Esau who is his favorite. It's the story where Rebekah then forms a plan. It's the story where Jacob deceives his father. It's the story where Esau is regretful. And then it's ultimately the story where Jacob gets sent away. And here it shows up in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the heroes of the faith is that Isaac invoked a future blessing on Jacob and Esau. We'll try to come back at the end and answer why it's here but it's an odd statement for it to appear in Hebrews chapter 11. So we look back at Genesis chapter 27 then to see what happened, why is it here, why is it in Hebrews 11, what are we gonna do with the text that's behind the text? And in this story, I'm gonna go ahead and give you what I think is the central idea of the text. I think the central idea of the text is that God is faithful. He's faithful with his promises and he's faithful with his punishments. Here, what we see in this text is one of the great principles all throughout Scripture. You're going to reap what you sow. And what we also see in this text is that if God says he's going to bless somebody, if he says, for example, the older is going to serve the younger, then even if we try to go against God's will, what we see happening is that God's will ultimately accomplishes its purposes, and all we end up doing is frustrating ourselves and trying to fight against the will of God. And that's very applicable for all of us in our daily lives as we walk as believers and as Christians. So let me set it up this way. Yesterday afternoon, I'm downstairs. uh, I'm watching football in the background, and I've got my laptop set up on one of the tables and an extra computer screen, and I'm working away, and and my wife and daughter are out eating lunch and then shopping, and, and I'm working on this sermon. I'm typing up some notes on this particular text. All of a sudden, I hear a door close upstairs. Well, I look down and I see that both dogs are at my feet. My wife and daughter are gone. And so I'm thinking to myself, what in the world was that noise? And then something pops into my head. My three-year-old son is supposed to be taking a nap. So I determine to sneak quietly upstairs to see what's going on. So I go up our stairs As I come up to the top of the stairs quietly, I look ahead and straight ahead I see our playroom and the door is closed. And immediately I know what's taking place. The noise I heard was the door closing to the playroom as he's decided to go in there and play rather than take a nap. And then I look to see that his deceitfulness had a problem because he left the door to his room open. So I peek into the door to the room and see that there's nobody in the room. So I open the door to the playroom and it creaks and it's loud and that's why I heard it from downstairs. And as it creaked and as it was loud, I heard silence inside. All noise stopped. So remembering back to Genesis, I said, Samuel, where are you? (laughs) To which he said, here I am. (laughs) And so then he comes walking up towards me. And as he comes walking towards me, he has on a gold and blue Power Ranger outfit. 
and two Spider-Man darts that are like the webs that come out of Spider-Man's attack vehicle or something in his hands with his head down and he says, I don't want to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, y'all are on. He got up out of his bed and deceived me and played in the play. What are y'all on for? Now, immediately, there are some of you in the room right now, and you're thinking to yourself, amateur. <laughs> if he just learned to close the door to his room and be a little quieter closing the door to the playroom, then he could have gotten away with all this, and it would have been okay, right? No. Because what you just revealed by those thoughts which popped into your head is the deceitfulness of your own heart and my own heart, to be honest about it, in that we know how to deceive other people. We can get away with the deceit of other humans at certain times. And in fact, some of you get away with deceit even here at a Christian university. And you know it. And you're good at it. And you know you're good at it. But you're never going to get away with it before a God that sees all and knows all. You see, his dad knew he needed a nap. How did I know he needed a nap? Because he'd gotten up early that day. And the day before, I let him skip his nap so he could sit on the couch with me and eat Halloween candy. It's called the parent tax. And eat Halloween candy and watch Power Rangers on television and goof off and have a good time. And it was a day for a nap. Otherwise, we were going to have a meltdown later on. But instead of doing what his father who loves him thought was best for him, he decided to do what he wanted to do and to go and to try to deceive and get away with it. And then when caught, he said, I don't want to get in trouble. Does that sound like us? We have a loving father who has given us his rules and his word is the guideline for us as how to best live our life. But we look at our own desires and he's a little boy and little boys and little girls understand that playing is the most important thing in life, more important than sleep or food or anything else. It's all about playing. And so acting on those desires, decided to take into his own hands and do his own thing and to deceive the loving father. And then when you get caught, we all say, I don't want to be in trouble. That's kind of that prayer we pray when we get caught doing something we shouldn't do. Oh God, if you get me out of this, I will. And you know, it's not a true prayer, right? That's our text today. That's where we are. So stand with me, if you will, as we read Genesis 27. We're just going to read the first four verses and then we'll walk through the text. Genesis 27, looking at the first four verses, reading those right now. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son... And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I'm old. Do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Dear Lord, as we look at this text, I pray that you just help us to be real with you, Father. You know our hearts, you know the deceitfulness of our own hearts and the wickedness of our own hearts. And Father, may we come to grips with who we are and who you are. And Lord, may we have an increasing desire to love you and to live our lives for your honor and your glory and not our own passing and fleeting desires. May Jesus be glorified today. And we ask this in his name, amen. You may be seated. So here what we see in the very first part of this text is when Isaac, and you focus in on Isaac, and in Isaac, we have the disobedient father. The disobedient father shows up and he says he was old. Well, according to Warren Wiersbe, old here means that he was 137 years old. But we know that Isaac lives to be 180 years old by what chapter 35 verses 28 and 29 tell us. 
So if he's only 137, he lives to be 180, there's 43 more years in his life here. Now you say, why in the world do you call him a disobedient dad? Well, let's review his life for a minute, just as we have it in the previous few chapters. At age 40, he is married. You can see that in chapter 25, verse 20. It's age 66 before he has his children. You can see that in chapter 25, verse 26. But what you'll see that is in verse 25, verse 23, God says that the older is going to serve the younger. And so we understand then that Jacob is going to be the one in charge and Esau, the older brother, is going to be the one to serve Jacob and God has decreed this. So if God has decreed that the younger is going to be the one who is exalted and the older is going to serve the younger, what is he doing in this particular passage, blessing the oldest child before he dies? Perhaps the answer lies in chapter 25, verse 28, which says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And here you see in the text that the parents had divided into their favorites who they were going to love. And Esau was the favorite of Isaac as he loved him because he would go out and he would hunt and he would prepare game and the game would taste really good. And so he asked him here in this chapter, in chapter 27, go and prepare delicious food for me such as I love. Now, isn't it ironic that the father wanted him to prepare delicious food for him such as he loved and the son in the previous chapter had sold his birthright for red stew because he was hungry as well. Something going on with father like son here and the inheritance of similar sins. But notice also here in chapter 27, look at what it says here in the text. Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, and in the eyes being dim, that was a sign that death may be approaching because you could no longer see. So he's wondering when he's going to die. So he calls his older son to him and he says, my son, and he answers, here I am. In this chapter, you'll see here I am mentioned a couple of times. Does that in your mind spark memories of when we go back to Abraham and Isaac and when Abraham says to Isaac when he says my father and he says here I am and it should because the writer is writing this to be heard as it is read to the audience and the words are the similar words so that it would remind us back to the faithfulness of Abraham and here we see the unfaithfulness of Isaac as he focuses on himself and not on what God has told him to do listen he says behold I am old I do not know. It's I, me, and my all throughout. Prepare your game, go hunt for me. Give me delicious food as I love. Bring it to me so I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. And here what we see is that the disobedient father is all focused about him. It's all about me, it's all about I, it's all about my, and it's about his favorite son, and it's about giving the blessing that he wants to give. And there's a lesson for us here in that anytime we get focused on the I, the me, and the my, we end up leaving out what God wants and what God desires and what God wants us to do. And once we get focused in on our desires rather than his desires, that's where we go astray. That's where we sin. That's where we drift off. And so as you live life and as you seek to live a life that glorifies God, notice in your own thoughts, the more you're focused on I, the more you're focused on me, the less happy you're going to be, the less content you're going to be, the less you're going to glorify God in your own life. And here we see it with the disobedient father. Not only do we have a disobedient father here, but we also see in verse five, it says, now Rebecca. Now, when you focus on Rebecca, you're going here to a deceitful mother. Now, Rebecca was listening 
when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So first of all, she's eavesdropping on the conversation. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game and bring it, verse six tells us, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Now, in my mind, as I first read this story many, many years ago, I'm thinking that you know, Jacob's simply just obeying what mama's told him to do, right? We know from the end of chapter 26, though, that Esau was 40 years old when he took a wife. If Warren Wiersbe is right, and at this point in time, Isaac is 137 years old, then that means Jacob is no young little boy listening to what mom tells him to do. That means he's somewhere between 40 and 60 years old in that range. And so, first of all, it's a little bit creepy to be between 40 and 60 years old, still living at home, listening to your mama and doing nothing else. That sounds vaguely familiar to what some people get criticized today for, right? So he's listening to his mom and she says to him, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Verse seven, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, she says, obey my voice as I command you. She's got a plan. She is plotting, she is planning, she is preparing to deceive. And so here we see the deceitful mother putting this into action as she says, go to the flock and bring two good young goats so that I can prepare them for delicious food for your father such as he loves. Now, here's a question I have in the text. If she can prepare this delicious food such as he loves, why is he asking Esau to go hunt and gather it and kill it and then prepare it if all he had to do was ask his wife to fix some young goats in the way that he really likes it for dinner? And then it says in verse 10, and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob, understanding that every plan has to have contingencies to it, says to his mom, but he said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. What is it Jacob's worried about? Is he worried about, mom, this just isn't right. Mom, I don't, I, God has already said he was gonna bless me. I just need to be faithful and trust in God and let God do what God's gonna do. And, and I, I don't need to deceive my dad. Mom, why are you asking me to be deceptive instead of pointing me to God and to obey God? Why are you asking me to do something that you know is not pleasing to a holy God? Is that his response? No. His response too often is a response similar to like what we would have. And he says, mom, I'm scared I'm going to get caught. And look, here's how I'm going to get caught, because you both know we're both pretty good at deception. I'm a smooth guy. My brother's a really hairy guy. So how are we going to overcome that obstacle, mom? And if I get caught, I'm going to have a curse, and that curse is going to be bad. And so the mom says to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. I got this covered. I've been deceiving people a lot longer than you have. I'll take care of this. You just go get the goats, bring them back here. So in verse 14, it says, he went and he took them and he brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. And she had been thinking this one through. So she had her plan. In verse 15, Rebecca took the best of the garments of Esau. He might smell him. 
if he's going to smell him, I'm going to go get the best garments of Esau and put those garments on him because garments have smell. And some of you who think garments don't really have smell, that just proves to me you're not a deer hunter. Because if you're a deer hunter and you go bow hunting, you have to wash your clothes in special scent-free stuff and you have to use cover scent so that when your deer come around you, the deer could smell you. And so you have to be covered so you can deceive the deer. In fact, I tried to do that this weekend unsuccessfully, but I tried to deceive those deer this weekend. So apparently I got to get better at deception. Anyway, she was good at deception. She went and got Esau's clothes. She put Esau's clothes on him. And then look at what else she does in verse 16. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Now that's just disgusting. Think about what happens here. The young goats that she's preparing, that she's slaughtering, that she's killing, she is taking the skin of those young goats and in some way attaching that to his hands and to the back of his neck. Now, how many of you want to sign up to have dead animal skin attached to your hands and neck so that you can go to see somebody? Anybody? No, I see no hands in the room. How many of you want to say, that's gross? Am I the only one? There's about a third of you. About a third of you just aren't engaging right now. Dead skin placed on the back of your neck on your hands to deceive. This was no simple plan. This was an elaborate plan. 17, verse 17, she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son, Jacob. And so we see here a deceitful mother. What's happening? The mom heard what Isaac had said. She knew the promise that God had said that her favorite son was going to be the one in charge, that the older was going to serve the younger. And she said, that's not right. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to make this work out the way it needs to work out because I want it to work out this way. And I don't believe God's powerful enough to make it work out this way. He needs my help. So I'm going to get engaged and help him out just a little bit. Anybody in the room have that weakness? We do, don't we? You should be honest about it. We know we're not perfect in the room. We all struggle We all have a sinful nature. We don't like to admit it sometimes, but we understand that there are times where we think God needs a little help. Perhaps we think that God needs to hurry up a little bit, and so we try to get involved and do it our way. You see this all throughout the Old Testament. You see this even with Abraham and the promise of a son, and the son didn't come fast enough, so he takes matters into his own hands. You see this all throughout the text of Scripture, where far too often, instead of sitting back and being patient and waiting on the Lord so that he comes through in his perfect timing, we say, God, you're a little too slow. God, you're not quite doing it my way. God, let me help you out here a little bit because I just think you need some help. And we come in and mess things up. There's consequences to pay for this, by the way. But here we see the deceitful mom. The text continues on in verse 18. It kind of shifts and it focuses here on Jacob. And on Jacob, we see the disingenuous son. Look at what it says here in verse 18. So he went to his father and he said, my father. And he said, here I am. Does that remind you of anything? We're back to Abraham and Isaac. The text is intentional here as the writers put these words to refresh our memory back to Abraham and Isaac in that picture of perfect obedience and how sad it is that the Isaac who laid himself voluntarily upon the altar is now the Isaac who is disobeying God and taking things into his own hands 
and that's a caution for us all, we may do very well at obedience one day only to struggle with obedience on another day. And it is a constant struggle in our Christian walk. There is no magic bullet. There is nothing that we can say to you, take this pill and you'll never struggle with sin again. Throughout this life, we constantly, repeatedly have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, rely on reading God's word, rely on focusing our thoughts on him so that we can resist the temptations that come our way. We can flee the devil. We can turn to God. All throughout your life, you're going to have temptation after temptation after temptation that comes your way. You can have a victorious life, but it's a daily struggle, a daily battle, a daily fight. And here we're reminded back to a great scene. And yet in this text, it's not such a great scene. Look at what Jacob does. Who are you, my son? Verse 19, Jacob says to his father, here's the first lie. I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. He didn't tell him. He wasn't Esau. He wasn't the firstborn. Now set up and eat of my game. It wasn't his game. That your soul may bless me. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we must deceive. In verse 20, Isaac says to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. It's not true either, is it? One lie leads to another lie, leads to another lie, leads to another lie. Verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may fill you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Isaac understood and he had thoughts and he had ears and he thought, this is too quick, this is too easy, this doesn't sound right, something's not right here. So Jacob, who was right, knowing that his father was going to want to fill him, went close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and he said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Verse 24, he said, are you really my son Esau? You know, this is reminiscent of all those times that you get in trouble and you tell that lie to start out with and then your parents ask you again and they say, did you really, really mean that? And you're caught because you're in the middle of the lie and you're stuck to either continue the lie or either admit you lied the first time so you're in trouble either way and so you continue on with the lie thinking maybe I'll get away with it. Maybe I won't have consequences if I just continue the lie. And he answered and he said to him, I am. And the third time that he had lied to his father. Then he said, bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Verse 26, then his father Isaac said to him, probably still doubting some in his own mind, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And although it hadn't happened yet in my own thoughts, I can't help but move forward and think of Judas who went to betray Jesus with a kiss and to think of the betrayal here of the father as well and to understand that betrayal always results in regret. And here Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and then he blessed him. And he said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth and plenty of the grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. He got the blessing. He got what he wanted. The disingenuous son, the two-faced hypocrite. Do we have anybody like that? 
Yeah, we do. Every church, every Christian university, you have people like that. They come, they show up, they put on a good outward front, but inside they know they're not really who they're pretending to be. Two-faced, hypocritical, putting up a show, and you think, maybe, just maybe, just maybe I can get away with it. But deep inside, you know who you are. You know who you really are. And God does too. And what I would say to you this morning, because I know there are some of you in this room, and I love our students, I love all of you, you're great, you're incredible compared to everybody else, but it's the nature of humankind. It's the nature of men and women that we have wickedly deceitful hearts and without the grace of Jesus Christ in our life, we can be two-faced and hypocritical. If you're in this room, I want you to think about the consequences of the life of Jacob. You're young. You have your life ahead of you, Lord willing, if he grants you a long life on this earth. And what I want you to get across as you look at this story, this great Old Testament narrative, is to understand that God is not mocked. What you sow is what you're going to reap. And if you are sowing deceitfulness, if you are sowing being two-faced, if you're sowing being a hypocrite, then what you're going to reap is a lifetime of regrets, a lifetime of negative things happening that come back upon you because of your actions. And what I want you to do is just be who you are and come clean and say, look, I need some help. Look, I need to come to the grace of God. I need some, I need somebody to walk alongside me. Here is an opportunity that by the grace of God, you're in a place where we want what's best for you. We want you to be discipled. We want you to grow in Christ. We want you to learn what the book says about how to live your life so that you can live a life that glorifies him, a life without regrets, a life that is for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that in eternity you don't look back and say, I wish, I wish, I wish, but you say and you hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Is that what you want? Do you want to make the most of this life? Or do you just want to waste this life? I don't think any of you in here want to waste it. I don't think you would be here if you really wanted to waste your life. The disingenuous brother. And then we come to Esau. Verse 30, it says, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from his presence, and you see the tension in the text there, and that Jacob leaves and perhaps through the other door, in comes Esau. He's into the presence. Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. In verse 31, it says, he prepared delicious fruit. He bought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Verse 32 says, his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently. And said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And perhaps, just perhaps this part of yes, and he shall be blessed. After the violent trembling is where finally Isaac realizes that if God says he's going to bless one, then God is going to bless one. And he understands that God is faithful. God is true to his word. Perhaps, just perhaps there's some indication here of why this blessing shows up in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 34, it says, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, 
He cried out with an exceedingly great cry. And here we see the desperate brother as he cries out an exceedingly great and a bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me even also my father. But he said to him, your brother came deceitfully. He has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob, the deceiver? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I've made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I've given to him for servants and with grain and with wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, but have you but one blessing, my father, just one blessing, bless me, even me also, oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And here we see the regrets of Esau. Esau has lived a life where he sold his birthright because he was hungry. And so he listened to his stomach, very much so like his father in that regard. He has married women that he shouldn't have married. He has disgraced his family name because he has gone out after whatever urges have come before him. And now when it comes time to receive that blessing, uh, that point where he's gonna have the reward and he understands he's lost the reward, all of a sudden he begins to cry. He has a life full of regrets. He begins to cry and to cry out in a bitter cry. One blessing, even one blessing. And Esau here, in verse 38, lifted up his voice and wept. And what I want for you is that as you live your life, as you do well here at Cedarville and graduate from Cedarville and go on to live your life, that you live a life where you're not looking back with regret, where you're not crying out before God saying, God, why didn't I listen to you? Why didn't I do it your way? Why did I do it my way? And now I have all of these things I have to reap that I have sown. And here we see what happens when you do that and you live a life of that way. Esau here cries out. Verse 39, his father Isaac answered him and said to him, behold, what a blessing this is. Look at the content of the blessing here. Away from the fatness of the earth, you're gonna dwell. You don't get the good stuff. You get the leftovers. Away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword, you're gonna live. It's not gonna be in peace. You're gonna live by the sword and you're gonna serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. And now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Although they were still far off. He said, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So here we see Rebekah again plotting and planning. And so she sent, she called Jacob the younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about planning to kill you. Now, therefore, son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. And then I will send and I will bring you from there. Why should I be bereft? Why should I lose both of you in one day? But then in verse 46, Rebecca goes to Isaac and Rebecca doesn't say to Isaac, I know what Esau's planning to do. I know he's gonna try to kill him. We've gotta get him out of here and get him safe. She says to him, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of those Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to him? And so again, she is deceitful. Chapter 28, it then says, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. 
He tells him to arise and go. And in verse three, we see a second blessing here where he says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples, that he may give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you and that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham and he sent him away. So here's the conclusion of the matter. In a story all about deceitfulness, We see that Isaac understands, perhaps in verse 33, but definitely by chapter 28, that you cannot overcome what God has said will happen, and he blesses the right son, even though it was not his favorite son. Rebecca, she needed to help God out, right? She needed to make sure that God's plan came to to happen in her time and in her way and in a deceitful way, which was not a godly way. And what happens to her? Well, she lost Jacob. The Bible never records where she saw Jacob again. And so Jacob then goes away. And you know the story of Jacob's service. And we never know if she is reunited with her son, Jacob. She lost the son that was her favorite. She also lost the trust of Isaac and of Esau. And so to some degree, by not having faith that God would bring it about in his time, by helping God out to do it her way in the wrong way, in a selfish way, she lost her sons and the trust of her husband. Jacob, the hypocrite. Well, we know he went on to wrestle with God. He went on eventually to serve for Laban and Laban changed his wages 10 times. We're told in Genesis 31 verses six through eight. And so he was deceived through Laban. You know the story very well where he works so that he could have Rachel. And instead of getting Rachel, he's deceived and he gets Leah. And I bet the time when he's deceived in the darkness where he can't see very well and where he's deceived with touch and he's deceived in his own mind, I bet he flashes back to that moment where he deceived his own father. It's not the only time he's deceived. Jacob, as you know, marries and he goes through his life and then he has a son and he has a favorite son and he doesn't learn about the sin of having a favorite son because you shouldn't have a favorite child. You should treat them all equally, love them all equally. But he hasn't learned that lesson being the favorite son of his mother. He has a favorite son whose name is Joseph and he gives him the coat of many colors just to, to, to tell all of the other brothers, yeah, this is the favorite son. And then what happens with that coat of many colors? Well, they take it and they smear some blood on it and they come back and deceive him and tell him that his favorite son is dead. The life of deception reaps deception. God is faithful. His word is not mocked. If you are here and you are being the hypocrite and you are being two-faced and you're being deceptive, I pray for you and I plead for you to stop that because a life of deception will reap nothing but deception. You don't have to trust me. Just go read through the Bible. Read through God's word. What about Esau? He gave in to youthful lust and lived a life of regrets. We don't want that for anyone in this room either. See, I know something of this. It was 1994, playing church league softball with a lot of has-been athletes that were on my team that were all super competitive. So it was one afternoon, we were all out practicing for church league softball. Now you understand that the reward in church league softball is not very much. It may be a little trophy or a little medal, but when you're competitive and you don't like to lose, you do what you have to do, which means you practice, right? So we're out practicing church league softball. A lot of good athletes, no superstars. We're playing, we're getting towards the end of practice and towards the end of practice that day, we do this thing that some of you probably have done. No ball gets through the infield, nothing in the outfield hits the ground. And so that's our challenge to each other. 
Well, we all are so competitive, we take that challenge immediately. Nothing's gonna get through the infield, nothing in the outfield's gonna hit the ground, and I'm playing shortstop. And the batter comes up, and then he hits the ball, and it's right in between the left fielder and myself. And so as I'm playing shortstop, I turn to run, I look back over my left shoulder, I get on my horse running as fast as I can, I hear bionic noises in my own mind, nobody else did, but in my own mind, and I'm streaking like lightning into the left field. I remember it very clearly. I leap off of my right foot, I stick my left arm into the air, I turn the glove in the right direction, and about that time I hear, mine, mine, I've got it. But what do you do when you're in the air? (laughs) Immediately your thoughts say, "Uh uh-oh, this is not gonna be good. Why didn't you call me off sooner? And about that time, there's a collision. Apparently the left fielder also a very competitive individual, had seen the ball. He had gotten on his horse, equally as fast, running in as fast as he could, and he began to dive head first to reach out to catch the ball. Why he didn't see me coming, I still do not know to this day. I'm looking over my shoulder. I had an excuse. What happened is the top of his head hit me right in the right cheekbone. It stood me up. So from full speed diving to standing up, he was laying on the ground. I don't know if he was knocked out or what, but he wasn't moving. He was just laying there. And I remember looking across the street to see a telephone pole doing this number. (laughs) There were actually three of them, but I don't have three fingers that I could do this with to show you exactly what it looked like. And I remember grabbing my legs because I'd never seen that. And I started blinking, trying to get the three telephone poles to come back together. The three telephone poles never came back to one. About this time, our teammates were around and they were looking and they looked at me and, and I looked at them and they said, you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And they didn't, no, you're not. And they said, dude, your, your eye is swelling shut. And I said, that's not good. <laughs> and so we proceeded then to go get some ice. By the time we had ice, my eye was completely swollen shut. It was red all throughout, it busted blood vessels in the eye. They were afraid I had a detached retina. So I went to the doctor When I went to the doctor in great pain and he gave me all kind of really great drugs and I'm really thankful that I live in the age of miracle drugs and and painkillers and all those type things. He gave them until they all started taking effect. We had a couch at our house where you could reach through the back, like had a cushion that you could remove so you could reach through the back. So I laid on the couch and gripped on one side and on the other side with both arms and squeezed as tight as I could and told everybody in the room, don't move. Because any step anywhere in the room felt like it would reverberate inside my head and it caused pain all throughout both sides of my head. I had nerve damage from my nose to my ear and you could touch one spot and I would feel it in every location. I completely swelled shut, completely red. Fortunately, the retina wasn't detached, but I went to the doctor and the doctor said this. He said, you've got a cracked cheekbone. He said, your fighting days are done. They're over. Now, nobody... And I still, the first time I've ever told this story in this way. Nobody knew the inner struggle that was going on in my own heart. Because I had been saved a year prior to that at a a revival service, 1993. And 1993 was the same year I won the World Amateur Championship. But I knew in my heart that God was calling me to serve him in ministry. In my own mind, I thought, God, you don't understand how good I am at karate and fighting. I can make a living doing this. I've got multiple karate schools. They're successful. They're good. I like it. I, you know, in my mind, I'm as good as Jean-Claude Van Damme and Chuck Norris, right? 
So I'm going to the movies. I mean, Olympics, movies, you name it, here we go. Let's get this thing done, right? I could do a split. I had a spinning crescent kick just like Chuck Norris. I had all those things, right? So in my own mind, I had a future planned and that future was nothing like what God's future was. And nobody knew the inner struggle that was taking place in my mind where I had decided I'm gonna do this my way, not your way. Until all of a sudden, I'm at the left fielder at Church League Softball. What did I learn from that? I learned that church league softball is the most dangerous sport ever known to man. (laughs) And I learned that the most dangerous thing you can ever do is run from God when he's called you to do something. Now you can look in your own mind and you can think about the things God takes away, but think about the things God gave me. I never would have gone to seminary. I never would have met my wife. She never would have had anything to do with a redneck country boy from South Carolina that thought he done it, we was, was proper grammar and fought for a living. That wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't be here today. What am I trying to tell you? I've been the one before that wouldn't give in to God's will. I've had to face God getting my attention. I don't want you to have to go through that. Some of you right now are still waiting for your church league softball moment. You're still waiting to encounter what our characters in today's story encountered where you will learn that God is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. He's also faithful to his punishments. So my challenge for you today is just be real with God. If you need to change, change and trust in him to live a life well lived for his honor and his glory. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we have your word to remind us of how we should live our life. I thank you that you're a loving God, that you're a good God, and that you want what's best for us. And so, Lord, today, I know there are some in the room who are struggling. Father, I know the weakness of all of our own hearts and that we can all struggle at any given moment. And so, God, I pray that you give us strength to serve you, to live for you. God, I pray that in our weakness, you would help us to be strong and to resist temptation so that we may further the gospel with our lives on this earth. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.